happened with you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something. And you embarrass yourself if you don't. <laughs> you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. So that's the clip I wanted to show last week, if you were here. Um, I love the quote there. Uh, all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. Uh, embarrassing bravery, isn't that true? Because we've talked about how faith uh, is actually a, w a willingness to look foolish. And when we step out in faith, when we step out in bravery, often uh, we get embarrassed. Uh, we can get embarrassed. Uh, and we, so we have to embrace the reality of that if we're going to take risks uh, for God. We've been looking at the fears in this series, and Chase the Lion has kind of um, just become this metaphor for looking our fears in the face, looking our dreams in the face. Uh, and often they're one and the same thing, because when we pursue our dreams, we often have to face our fears. And it comes from this passage in 2 Samuel 23, where it says, uh, One day Beniah uh, chased, a pit, chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed this lion in a pit. And when he faced this lion, instead of backing away, instead of running away, he actually chased it down. And so we're asking in the series, what are the dreams, what are the fears that God is calling you to face? What are the dreams he's calling you to chase? What are the dreams that he's calling us as a community to chase? the fears that he's calling us to face. And there's lots of fears, and we've, we've chatted about some of them in the series, uh, and we've began each of the sermons in the last uh, few weeks with a fear factor game. Uh, I got a short game this morning, and I'm just wondering if there's a few volunteers that would join me to play this game. Come on, Faith. Yeah, Chloe, come on up. Anybody else? Where? Sorry. Yeah, right there. Come on down. This might be the most, it's short, but it might be the most frightful game we've done yet. Uh, just, okay, right here. Okay, we got three. Well, you got those, yeah, no big deal. You got those long legs, just one big step up. Okay, so, so the, the, the fear we're going to face this morning is nomophobia. Do you guys know what that is? It's the fear of being separated from your electronic device. So hand them over. Yours is on your seat. Isn't that convenient? Brody will come and help you get it. Brody, you, you go with her. You get her device. And we're just going to put your devices right here. Yeah, you're not even going to leave it, are you? That's it. That's it. You've got you to leave it here. You're going to sit through this whole service without your cell phone. There's a few of you that I know I should do this to here in the front row. That's, it? That's, all, it That's all it is. Yeah, sit down. Sit. That's all it is. Let's give them a hand. That's a hard thing to do right there. I can feel the anxiety in the room just like rising as they leave their phones here. So what fear, what fear is God calling you to face? Uh, what's the dream that he's calling you to chase? And we've given a few definitions of faith in the series 
Uh, and let's see if you can remember them. If you, if, you, if you can get them right, I got a few cell phones that I can give away. Uh, so who can give me one of the definitions of faith that we've talked about? You can just yell them out. I can't really see you. Taking the first step before you know the second step. That was one. Good job. Anybody else? I gave you one already. Fear is a willingness to look foolish. Being brave for a few seconds. True. That wasn't one of the four definitions, though. Anybody else? Okay, we, I think we got them on the screen. Let's throw them up. Uh, Faith is willingness to look foolish. Faith is unlearning our fears. You're born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear you have has been a learned fear. And so if it's learned, uh, it goes without saying that you can actually unlearn them. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. And fourth, faith being sh- is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, which is taken from Hebrews chapter 11. So I believe that God is calling us as individuals and as a community Uh, to take some risks, to start activating our faith. And to do this, we need to define success. And last week, I gave one definition of success, that success is obeying what Jesus asks you to do. We can get busy doing a whole lot of things in this life. We can be successful uh, in the way that our world defines success. But unless we're actually obeying what Jesus is asking us, I believe that we're not being successful. And in fact, if success is just simply obeying what Jesus asks us to do, then it's not a matter of winning or losing, it's a matter of obeying. And sometimes when we obey, we will feel like failures. But if this is true, then there's no such thing as failing if we're just obeying what Jesus asks. So if we're going to be successful followers of Jesus, we want to obey what Jesus asks us to do. Second uh, definition that I want to give you this morning is when those that know you best respect you most. When those that know you best respect you most. I think often we have these dreams of what our life could become, what we want to do with our lives. And many of us have pursued those dreams at the expense of our spouse, at the expense of our kids, at the expense of our friendships. And I believe that if we have to sacrifice those relationships for the pursuit of our dreams, that we've actually failed. I want to be famous in my home. I want the people that know me best to respect me most. If you succeed at the wrong thing, I think you failed. But if you fail at pursuing the right thing, I I believe that you've succeeded. And so God is calling us, I believe, to redefine how we imagine success to be, what faith means, the types of things that we should be risking for. And we think about obedience even, You know, it strikes me that God's not going to say at the end of our lives, well thought, well said. That's not what he says. In the parable that he gives with the servants, it says, well, well done. That at the end of the day, we are are measured, we are rewarded by the things that we do, not the things that we say or the things that we think. And that faith, faith is activating what we believe into action. In fact, the guy in that parable that I referred to that played it safe is the one that lost everything. And so I believe that Jesus is not calling us to play safe, but he's calling us to risk. 
He's calling us to faith. He's calling us to play offense with our life. This morning, we're looking at Numbers 13 and 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen. Um, We're going to start at verse 25. And I think we, we even have Bibles for you. So if the, if the ushers haven't come already, uh, they will come. Uh, you can just put up your hand and you can uh, follow along with, in those Bibles if you want. If you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those home with you. So Numbers 13, verse 25, it says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and the towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Malachites live in Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. I love this passage, Numbers 13, 14. I believe it's a passage that we see clearly the effects that fear has on us. And so I just want to highlight briefly a few effects of fear in this passage. The first one we see, Numbers 13, 31, it says, The other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. And then in Numbers 13, 32 to 33, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So the first thing that we see when we read this is that one of the results of fear is that fear gives us a false view of our enemy. Everybody say, false view of our enemy. And if you're taking notes, I think I even had these uh, number, Brian, if you forward there. There we go. Fear gives us a false view of our enemy. And I want to be clear in this moment, and make sure you hear me on this, that your enemy is never a person. Your enemy is never a person. And if you believe and feel that your enemy is a person, I'm afraid we haven't quite seen with the eyes of Christ. Because in Ephesians 6, it says that our our battle is actually not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, authorities of the unseen world. And, And we can get pulled into this thinking, and you just look at the news, and, and what's happening in the news and in our world right now is our enemy is being drawn as somebody else, a different person other than us, a different group of people other than us. Our enemy is never a person. 
Our enemy shows up in the face of people. It manifests itself in the face of people. But our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is Satan. And we need to be very, very clear about this. And so as we look fear in the face, Satan himself becomes larger than he should be. Whatever form that that fear is taking, whatever form that he is taking, becomes larger than he, sh he should be. And fear gives us a false view of our enemy. Secondly, we see, we read in the, the passage there, next to them we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Man, how we, how we can be so sure what other people think about us. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they, they thought too. And then they also said, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle, our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. So fear gives us a false view of ourself. And fear also gives us a false view of God. So fear gives us a false view of the enemy. Fear gives us a false view of ourselves. We shrink in the face of fear. We feel like, you know, they're a giant. This situation's a giant. I feel like a grasshopper. And our view of God also shrinks. Now, I remember four, uh, 15 years ago, uh, I was dating this, uh, uh, this beautiful girl. Uh, her name was Lisa. Her name is still Lisa. Uh, but we were in this dating phase in college, and we, we kind of lived north of Saskatoon at a college there, and, uh, and I hadn't yet met her family and so we had kind of developed this life in this bubble there north of Saskatoon. Her family's from Calgary. And there's this one weekend that the whole family was coming out for the weekend. Uh, and, and so just so you get a picture of the college I was at, there was a girls' dorm area, which the guys weren't allowed to go into. There was a uh, main building uh, that everybody could enter. And then there was a guys' dorm uh, that the girls weren't allowed to enter. And so I knew that, you know, Lisa's family was coming, and so I left the guys' dorm and go into the main dorm, uh, and I'm sitting there in the, in the main building waiting for her family to arrive. Uh, but more than waiting for her family to arrive, I'm actually waiting for Lisa to arrive, because that would be awkward. Uh, and so Lisa's in her dorm, and I'm hoping that Lisa gets here before uh, her family gets here, um, but it doesn't happen that way. So I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in the building, the main building, and I see uh, Lisa's dad and her brother walk into the building. Uh, her mom and her sister went to the girls' building to find Le Lisa. Uh, and I was like, just to give you a picture, uh, I was like across this building uh, in the main area, kind of way over here, and you know, probably 50 feet away from me, Lisa's dad and her brother walk in. And... It's one of those moments where you've never met each other, but you know who each other are. You guys feeling me? Okay. And so I notice them noticing me, and you're stuck in this moment of, uh, what do I do? And they didn't make one effort to take a step towards me. And so then you're thinking as like the boyfriend, okay, what do I want my first impression to be? One of like fear and just like sitting back or one of like, you know, confidence. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I'm going for the confident approach, right? And so I decide I'm going to walk this gulf, you know, as I walk across the, 
the ad building and, uh, you know, introduce myself. I'll say, hey, Ron, I'm Matt, and hi, Ryan, I'm Matt. And they say, nice to meet you. Right, and there was no, that was it. That was, there was no conversation, uh, and I just remember, like in this in this moment, like Lisa's dad, like he just he just he was like eight or nine feet tall, right? And I felt like a grasshopper, and I just wanted to like go into the fetal position, uh, go back to the guys' dorm, uh, and it felt like hours. I'm sure it was I'm sure it wasn't that long, but it felt like hours before Lisa showed up. One of the most frightful, awkward moments of my life. And you've had those experiences, haven't you, where you're in this place of fear, where you, where you come face to face with fear, and, and what you're facing just becomes a giant, and you just feel like you're shrinking. And in more serious examples, we, we also know in those moments that God kind of fades into the background, and we, we, we lose a perspective of God. God himself becomes small. Our enemy becomes bigger than God. And this is what happens in, the, in this passage in Numbers. They shrink, the enemy becomes huge, and they start doubting God and questioning what God has for them. And then in, four, in the verse, chapter 14, verses 1 to 2, it says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus in protest against Moses and Aaron. In 13, verse 32, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. I also want to say that fear is contagious. Fear is contagious. You create impossibilities with your tongue. Some of you know this very well. You were told by a parent or by a teacher, by a friend, Someone you respected, that you can't do this, you'll never do this, you'll never amount to this, you're not this, you are this. And that tongue had the ability to spread fear in your life. And for those of you who have overcome those things, you know that you've overcome them because you've surrounded yourself with somebody that tells you a different story, a different reality. Because fear is contagious, but dreaming is also contagious. Hope is also contagious. And as if we've gone through the series and you've been like, I don't feel like God's giving me any dreams. I don't think he has, I don't feel a hope or a sense of purpose. I would say, if you want to dream again, get around a dreamer. Get around a gold digger. And by gold digger, I don't mean somebody that wants your money. I mean a gold digger as in somebody that sees the gold in you and digs it out of you. You don't have the time to be around somebody that's going to spread fear and lies in your life because it becomes contagious and it grows. You want to be around somebody that digs the gold out of you and helps you dream. Fear is contagious. And so I'd ask you, what are you spreading? What are you spreading in your friendships, in your family, in your workplace, in this church community? Are you spreading hope and dreams or are you spreading fear? Because our tongue creates our future, our tongue creates fear, or it creates an atmosphere in which dreams and hope prosper. And so these are some of the effects of fear that we see in numbers, and they all kind of work together. 
If you understand the truth about who God is, it affects the way you see yourself, it affects the way you see your enemy, and it gives you the ability to spread hope instead of fear. We talked about this last week, that God does not give us a spirit of timidity but one, and fear, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. And I believe that, that there's even an order to these things, that God gives us a spirit of love, which comes from our understanding of who God is, that he loves us, that he gave him his son for us. And it's out of that place that we have, a play, that we have identity with the Father, that we're a son of the Father, we're a daughter of the Father. And it's that place of love that gives us the fortitude to live with self-discipline, to look fear in the face and walk with integrity. And when we do that, we actually begin to live in a place of power. Love, obedience, and power. If you understand the truth about God, who God is, you'll, you'll understand who you are, and then you'll actually see the enemy for what he really is. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, it says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. And it says like because the bark is worse than his bite. A couple other observations in the passage. So people are freaking out in fear, and what do they say? They say, let's go back. Let's go back. Do you know what back was? Back was when they were slaves, when they were making bricks for a living, when they were being worked so hard that there was more work than there was hours in a day. This is what they longed for. In fact, they even longed just to die. Let's go back to the wilderness and die. The best way to root out fear in your life is to actually not want anything. You don't want anything. You don't have any hopes, don't have any goals, don't have any dreams. You could probably root out fear in your life. But I, I believe that God's called us to more. When you yield, and when you face fear and you yield to fear... You settle for slavery because slavery is predictable. Let me say that again. When you yield to fear, you will settle for slavery because slavery is predictable. When you yield to God, you'll pursue risk because victory is inevitable. You guys follow me? I'll say it one more time. When you yield to fear... You'll settle for slavery because slavery is predictable. Some of us like the predictability of life, the comfort of life, but enslaves us. But if you yield to God and what God has for you, you will pursue risk because you realize that victory is inevitable because victory isn't dependent on you but on Jesus. And so it gives us this fortitude, this courage to step forward and chase dreams, to chase lions. And sometimes we read the story and we're like, Man, how stupid is that? They want to be slaves again. They want to go die in the wilderness. And we think, it's, we, think it's, we think it's dumb. But are we really any different? How often do we settle for the familiarity? How often do we desire to go backwards instead of forwards? How often do we choose the slavery of our toxic habits or addictions or the perpetual bad choices that we make because it's what we've always done? And to change and to transform would require too much effort. It's too scary. It requires too much vulnerability. We choose the familiar all the time. We like being comfortable. In fact, even as the weather is getting colder, right, I, I have this desire just to 
to be more and more comfortable, to stay in my house. And, uh, you know, Silas, my youngest son, the other day, uh, you know, it was in the morning and he gets up and he's in the kitchen getting breakfast and he just says to me, he's like, Dad, it feels like a caramel pumpkin spice latte kind of day. It's like, what? Feels like a caramel pumpkin spice latte kind of day. I don't know where he got that from. Um, but already you know, he's tapped into this idea like, you know, it's cold outside. I just, you know, it's, I just, you know, I think he probably got it from some commercial or something, right? But, uh, and you'll notice in the story, even the guys that come back from the promised land, what do they say? They say, we found a land filled with milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey, flowing with caramel, pumpkin, spice, latte. We found it. Let's go there. Did you know that God was not calling them into a land flowing with milk and honey? He wasn't. Do you know what the promised land was? It was an intersection of the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Girgashites. You got all that? The, the promised land was an intersection of mission. God's people thought they were going to go to a destination of comfort, but God wanted to put them in an intersection of mission. When you think that God is calling you to milk and honey, you will run away from that line at the first sign of trouble. You'll say, is this really worth milk and honey? I don't think so. But if you believe that God is calling you into an eternal mission that is beyond yourself, you'll realize that this is more than your comfort, this is more than your safety, and it's actually more than milk and honey, that he's got a purpose for putting you there. So is your dream, is your purpose, is, the, is God's calling your life more than comfort, more than security, more than milk and honey? I hope it is, because it's not, you're going to settle for slavery. And as you know, as we've gone through the series, we, we've talked about individual dreams, and we talk about corporate dreams, because as we pursue individual dreams, there's, there's a ripple effect into our corporate reality. And I don't want to focus on this too much, but it is a part of where we are in the season. I would also ask corporately, do we think that God's calling us to a land of milk and honey? Do we think that God's calling us to a place of comfort and security? You know, we've talked about, you know, this opportunity to potentially move in a permanent way, have a permanent presence back in the Minipore community. And I've heard lots of conversation about this, which and some of it's really exciting and some of it's discouraging, I'd say, because what I hear from some people is an excitement that God's calling us to milk and honey. And I'll tell you what, if we go back into Minipore, it's not for milk and honey, it's because God's putting us in an intersection of mission. He's giving us a permanent place to be a permanent presence, to have long-lasting fruit, because he's called us to something beyond ourselves. And I, I would say, if we're moving to Minipore for milk and honey, then I hope that we don't get it. I hope it doesn't work out. One of, the, one of the best things about SunWest that I love is because we've been this portable, messy church for so long, it's kept the main thing the main thing. Sometimes. 
<laughs> Sometimes we just get caught up in how annoying setup and teardown is. But, um, but then we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Why are we doing all this work? And we're still here because we believe that there's something beyond setup and teardown. And I pray and I hope that if we have a place of permanence, that we don't think it's because God wants to give us milk and honey, but because God wants to do something more, do something greater. In fact, we just did a survey. Um, if you were at our meeting last week, you would have been there for the results of the survey. And, and uh, we spent some time, uh, Dave Jackson, who did the survey, spent some time reading this quote. And I'm going to read it this morning uh, because there's something about the heart or the dream behind, this, behind us as a church that this taps into. It says, Our lives have been completely changed because someone told me about SunWest one day when I was at the gym and because of that conversation, I drove to Mid-Sun Community Center on a Sunday morning. So this was at least 13 years ago. On a Sunday morning in July, many years ago, with my two small children, I witnessed people worshiping God in a way I'd never seen before, and I heard words spoken by our pastor that I was convinced were just for me. People spoke to me, invited me to, part of, to be a part of their small group. It was through these relationships that I surrendered my life to Christ. My children were cared for, and lovingly taught about Jesus and his incredible promises of love and hope in their lives. My husband eventually started joining us on Sunday mornings, and within a few years, he also committed his life to Christ. We have been forever changed because we experienced the love of God in ways that we didn't even know were possible. I think that is what, I think that that is what we need to get back to. SunWest exists to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, we call SunWest our home and is our church, but it is God's church first and foremost. He is working in the lives of people that we don't even know yet, and we need to be prepared for this Sunday that they walk through the doors and ensure that we are honoring our God by being ready to show them his love and grace, and hopefully their lives will be forever changed too. Man, that's what it's about right there. And it's not about people showing up even on a Sunday. I mean, that's part of it. You know, in Luke 15, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit trail, but in Luke 15, you have multiple stories of people that are lost. And in one of the stories, the prodigal son, the son shows up, and the father's response is to embrace his son. And then Jesus also tells a story about a lost sheep. And the, lost, and the sheep runs away, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go pursue the one. And I believe that God is calling us to both. To be a place of hospitality, to be a place where people come and they find Jesus for the first time, that it transformed their lives, it transformed their families' lives, it transforms their community. But I believe that he's also calling us to be a people on mission, to be a people that take risk, to be people that are willing to leave the 99 and the comfortable to go pursue the one. So in Numbers, they're facing fear, and they have a choice to make. And unfortunately, they choose the comfort of fear instead of the promise of faith. The result of that decision was 40 years in the wilderness. To choose fear instead of faith meant choosing the wilderness instead of the promised land. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life in the wilderness. I want to be in the heart of God's mission as an individual, but I also want to be in the heart of God's mission as a church. I don't want you to spend your life wandering the wilderness because you 
chose the false comfort and security of fear instead of the adventure and the dream that God has for you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, there's this passage that I journaled on two years ago, March 3rd, 2016. I went back and I, I read in my journal, and I believe that God placed this passage on my heart, uh, and I sent, it, uh, I sent it to some of the staff and our leadership team, and I said, you know, I feel like this, this word is for our church. So it's a year and a half later, um, but I'm going to share it. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Wait for everything to be perfect. We'll be waiting our whole lives. If you wait for your life to get figured out before you dream and risk, you'll continue to wait. But if we have a picture of God that's bigger than our enemy, if we have a dream that's bigger than our fears, I believe that we won't wait for perfect weather, that we won't be watching every cloud, but we'll be engaged in mission and plant, planting and harvesting. In fact, in verse 6, it says, Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all, all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. What it's saying is you don't know the results. You don't know, know the results of your risks or your dreams. So just go for it. Your God's big enough. And if you fail, that's okay because success isn't winning. Success is obedience to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to take communion in a moment. But before we take communion, we're going to read... The Lion Chaser Manifesto together. As a summary of the series, as we kind of conclude the series, um, and and I want you to know that uh, I believe that this series is actually it's a theme for us for the year, uh, and we uh, we decided this past week that we're actually gonna. We got to give it a break because we've been going on it for a few weeks here. But uh, what we're going to do is, in between each of the different sermon series throughout this year, we're going to do one-off chase the lion sermons. We're going to we're going to kind of stretch this theme throughout the year because I I believe that this isn't just a one and done series. I believe that we're going to constantly, through the course of this year, have to choose to look fear in the face and to dream and to move in faith together. So the Lion Chasers Manifesto. It's not supposed to say quite. Um, it's quit. So I apologize for any other spelling errors on there. Um, should have edited this. <laughs> Read this with me. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems. Become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past. Start creating the future. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the main and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. 
burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails. Don't let what's, what, sorry, live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail, dare to be different, quit holding out, quit holding back, quit running away, chase the line. Yeah. So as the band leads us, we're going to invite you to take communion this morning. There's four stations, one at the front uh, of each of the uh, aisles and also at the back. Uh, And we would invite you over the course of the next song. Uh, if the Lord is leading you to come and take communion uh, as a declaration of who Jesus is, what he's done on the cross, that, he's, that his grace is sufficient. And if you're not in a place this morning where you can bend your knee to Jesus as king, that's totally fine. Uh, communion's not quite for you at this point. But if you are in a place where you want to declare Jesus as king and Lord of your life, we invite you to come to the table. When you come to the table you'll find a, a handout there, and it has the, the Chase the Line manifesto that we just read. I want you to take it with you. Uh, and I want you to put it on your fridge. I want you to put it in your Bible, uh, wherever you're going to see it every single day. And I would encourage you to read that every day. That this would become a theme for this year in your life, that you would read that every day and realize that God created you to be a lion chaser, not a grasshopper. And so as the band leads us, please, please come forward, take communion. Um, uh, we won't take it together, uh, but uh, please, uh, in, in the time that you would like, uh, when you would like, uh, take it on your own. Uh, this is the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilt for you. Jesus says to take this in remembrance of me. And so we do this looking back on what he's done, but we also do it looking forward. He says, I'm not going to drink this wine or eat this bread until I drink it anew with you in the coming kingdom. And so we look forward. We look back and we look forward. We dream, we hope, we have faith because of what Jesus has done and that gives us the courage to move forward. So Jesus, we thank you for what you've done on the cross for us. We thank you for your broken body, your spilt blood that you've called us out of our sinfulness, out of our fear, out of our slavery into a position of freedom, into a position of sonship, into a a place where we risk because we know that our future is secure. Lord, I thank you that you have redefined success in our lives, that we don't need to perform, but we just need to submit to you and your leading in our lives. And so, Jesus, we just submit to you. We say yes to you. We bend our knee to you. And we thank you, Lord, that in us and through us, you can do more than we ever ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.